If you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 17. Uh, We were there uh, last week uh, in verses uh, 6 through 19, and so today we're going to come back and read verses 1 through 6, and then read verse 20 through the end of the chapter. So once again, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, it's already been mentioned, but it would be uh, our desire that you have uh, a blessed Thanksgiving uh, week, uh, that truly, uh, as believers, uh, that should be uh, our default setting, uh, that indeed we give thanks uh, for the goodness of God, for His riches uh, revealed and applied to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the essential virtues of the Christian life is that of thankfulness. Uh, That is, that it's basic, it's it's fundamental to who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus. It could be thought of as a fruit of the Spirit, or at least a derivative of the fruit of the Spirit. That is, thankfulness is an inner working of God's grace producing within us an inner disposition, resulting in an outer confession of thankfulness. Because it is a Christian virtue, we direct that thanks to God. As we sing each week in the doxology, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. That is a song with an appropriate confession to our Heavenly Father, to His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and to the indwelling Advocate, the Holy Spirit. We praise Him for all that He is, all that He has done, and for all that He will do as believers We, by definition, it is objectively true that we have much to be thankful for because of the power of the gospel and its promises. Now, I have observed over the last decade something in my generational peers, in other words, old people, That is not a universal experience, but it's certainly widespread. I see this reality as well in those that are younger than me and older than me. To be sure, we see it in various degrees and levels, but it is a widespread phenomenon. This phenomenon is an ever-rising tide of concern, of anxiety, of depression, of despondency, even despair over life, over death, and over everything in between. You might say that this is not true of you, but I can assure you it is true of someone you care about. Life is good. Now, I believe that, and I confess that, but life is 
tough. Some seasons are tougher than others. But difficulty, adversity, struggle, and challenge with all of the associated concerns are not abnormal experiences. As I said, I've observed this reality for quite some time. But the COVID pandemic not only brought these things into greater and clearer focus, it heightened the level of concern experienced by many, if not most of us. The pandemic exposed the reality that as a culture, a culture inclusive of the church, we are terrified by many things. We worry about our children and our grandchildren about our finances, about our health, and and we have, have even this paralyzing fear of death. And to be sure, death is an enemy, but its sting has been removed by Christ for the believer. My next breath, at least as far as I know it or it can be known, is uncertain. But my death and its attending details are absolutely certain. The date, place, and circumstances are determined and known only to God. My anxiety will not extend the quantity of my life nor enhance the quality of my life. We can rest in God's good plan for life and for death. Now, we should live wisely and responsibly while remembering the words of Jesus. Don't be anxious for your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour? To your life. So the thief of thankfulness is anxiety. The root of anxiety is a lack of contentment cultivated in an absence of trust in our good, perfect, and powerful good shepherd. Our anxiousness or our anxiety steals our thankfulness. This malady is the enemy of peace and the destroyer of joy. We find it far too easy to forget that our God is the one who does all things well. The one who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. The one who has ordained every detail of our lives for our ultimate good and for his glory. The glory we confess and celebrate with the resolve given by God's grace to live our lives solely Deo Gloria. To God be the glory alone. We live not for our pleasure 
We live not for our success. We live not for our possessions, nor accolades and accomplishments. We live so that in every circumstance and in every season, we put on display in our lives and upon our lips the great hope, the great promise, and the great purpose that whether we live or die, whether we succeed or fail, we calm our anxious heart with the knowledge that while all around us may not be well, we can say, It is well with my soul. We can say with the prophet Job, even though he slay me, I will rejoice. Because I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. We can joyfully confess with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, the cure for anxiety and the key to thankfulness can be confessed in the great summary confession of the Reformation. To God be the glory alone. In health, to God be the glory. In sickness, to God be the glory. In pleasant times, to God be the glory. In unpleasant times, to God be the glory. In all times, in all seasons, in all circumstances, in this life and throughout all of eternity, to God be the glory and to Him alone. So, as we move into this week, particularly Thanksgiving, but even into the entirety of what is often referred to as the holiday season. Let us cultivate the confession of thanks as we cultivate and confess that we live for God's glory alone. Read with me from John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. 
and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Pray with me. Father, we thank you again that you have brought us to this place at this time, both in the particular sense that you've gathered us here at North Clay for the sake of worship, but you have ordered all of the very providences of our lives to bring us to this very moment as well. And God, may we learn that the very purpose of our being and certainly the purpose of our redemption is that we live to give to you the glory both now and forevermore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've mentioned on a number of occasions, we find here in John 17 the perfect prayer of the perfect intercessor or the perfect interceder. That is that Jesus Christ prays in accord with the will of his heavenly Father, and we know that which he requests, that petition that he makes, both for those disciples that are with him on that evening and for those, as he said, that will come to believe upon him for salvation through that word that he had given to them, that he is praying for them, and he's praying particularly, and he's praying successfully. And here's the deal, that we, those that have been given to the Son by the Father in all of eternity past, and they are received by the Son, and they will be raised up, and we will see His glory. That summarizes the totality of the purpose for everything. In fact, we could go home, but don't. That is the reason for which you were created. And that is the reason for which God saved you from your sins. That you would see his glory. And I believe see it in the here and now. But of course, see it fully and completely and perfectly in the then and in the there. So we found last week, and as we've looked at this passage a number of times over the years, that in John 17, there's a statement of fact that Jesus had accomplished what the Father had sent him into the world to do. That his mission was a success. And occasionally you will hear in certain types of theology that in fact the cross was some type of plan B because Jesus Christ was rejected by the Jews. Never believe that lie. The cross was always plan A. It was the perfect plan by which God would save sinners from their sins for the glory of his name. And so through the power of the Word, as we looked at last week in preaching on the doctrine, the truth of Scripture alone, through this Word that came from the Father to the Son, given to the disciples and inscripturated for us in what we call our Holy Bible, through this Word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are revealed to us for the purpose of our salvation. And so that is what we believe 
And that is what we proclaim. And so the Father has given to the Son a people. And He's given to these people eternal life. And that that eternal life is passed to them through this word that Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And Peter was convinced of the truthfulness of what Jesus said. And when Jesus asked him, you guys want to leave? You guys want to hit the bricks? Are you done? Have I freaked you all out? And I think it's as great a confession as upon this rock I will build my church. That you and you alone, you have the words of eternal life. We're staying, Jesus. We have nowhere else to go. And you know, isn't that really the truth of all of us? Where else are you going to go? Where else are the words of eternal life? To whom shall you seek to find purpose and meaning and salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life? It's to Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but they're staying. And I'm going to take, I want you to take this word that I've given and I want you to set them apart. I want you to sanctify them in the truth. Now, truth is your word. And folks, as we're finding out in our day, that the word is setting us apart. The word is making us distinctive in a way that we haven't seen in our lifetime, maybe in the history of this nation. It is separating us from those who refuse to believe. And as I said, he prayed that we would see his glory. And we will, and we do. Now let's look, first of all, God is eternally and perfectly glorious in his essence, in his nature, in his being. And for that... We give thanks. He is the perfect, eternal one. And so Jesus speaks of this perfect enjoyment of this mutual glory that that the Father, Son, and Spirit shared in before all worlds were completed. And you need to understand this. Jesus did not create the world, or God did not create the world, because there was some lack or some need, that, that there was something in him that needed to be fulfilled, that, that, that he was lonely and needed a bunch of people around to hang out with. Everything that exists, exists for the singular purpose of bringing glory to its creator. And by design, I say with the utmost confidence, it will, and it does. And so, God is perfect in his being. He does not have to be, to do anything to be more perfect. John Piper wrote something similar to this. This is not an exact quote. But it is right, 
And this is going to shock some of you. I've, I've said it before, but you've forgotten it because I know how y'all do. But in our me-centered world, see, you know, we accuse our kids of this, don't we? Don't we? Well, this is the way we th- all of us think. Okay? This is the way all of us think. And so it is right for God to be God-centered. For God to be anything less than God-centered would make him an idolater. We must be God-centered as well. If it is right for God to be God-centered, then how much more right is it for us as creatures, sinful creatures as that, sinful creatures redeemed by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be anything less than what? God-centered. And so, God does what He does, or He doesn't do what He doesn't do, first and foremost, for his glory. Because of his grace, we may share and enjoy that glory forever. We may share in that glory and we may see something that glory right here and right now. To be sure, we see this glory even in this dark world. Why? Because we have been born again, and we see the kingdom of God in its current form. Well, what is its current form? Well, hear this. We see that glory somewhat dimly, but we do see the glory of the king and his kingdom. That's objectively true of those who have been born again. The apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I won't give you my traditional laundry list with about 25 reasons that you you should be in church on Sunday morning. Okay? There's plenty of them. But one aspect of it is that we remind one another that the gospel is true because we see the work of God's glory on each other's face. You know, I know this is not true of any of y'all because y'all are super spiritual. You know, y'all are really saintly, right? All God's people said. But sometimes I have a bad week. And sometimes I forget what God is doing and what He has done. And sometimes, I just need you guys to remind me. And sometimes I need to remind you that God is glorious. And sometimes when we don't feel like it, He is gloriously at work in and among us. So this work of regeneration works in me a transformation to the glory of God and allows me to see in your countenance and hear in your confession God's transforming work in you. We rejoice in the mutually edifying experience of bringing glory to God. One of the kind of cool things that takes place during our VBS week is at the close of the evening's activities, there's a little 
I'm old, so I'm going to call it this, a, a slideshow. If you don't know what a slideshow is, I'll tell you as you walk out. Uh, I think, um, what do you call it, PowerPoint or whatever you want to call it now. But pictures of that evening's activities. Uh, in the past, the goal was to see if you can find the pre- preacher doing something goofy so you can put it on the screen and laugh at him. But, you know, uh, some, some of you, you know, you know y'all, y'all, y'all seen those pictures and been in some of those pictures. But it really is a God sighting. Think about it for just a moment. That the entirety of our church marshals all of our energy and all of our resources to present the gospel to every child who will come and take part. That, that listen, and I, <laughs> there's probably working on, people working on vacation Bible school right now. But certainly a month or two months before it all kicks off, this place becomes a beehive of activity. And you know, what I, you know what I hear from people? I'm tired. I'm tired. You know why? Because they're tired. Because they're tired, it's hard. It takes a lot of effort. But yet, it's all put together to introduce boys and girls to the goodness of the gospel and the glory of the God of the gospel. It, it, you, you, I mean, we laugh when we see these pictures sometimes because they're funny, but, but it really is. It really is a testimony to God's grace. It really is a revelation of His glory. It really is a God sighting. Now, let me take it one step forward. I'm seeing some God sightings even right now. You see... We're all visible testimonies. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we? We're in a very real sense, a God sighting. We're a testimony to what? The grace of God in saving us and bringing us to this place at this time for this purpose. And so we've already said Jesus prayed what? That we would see his glory. And that prayer is sure to be answered. Again, he's the, perfect, he's the perfect prayer warrior, okay? That prayer is going to be answered, and it is being answered. So everything, everything has been designed with the ultimate purpose that my prayer for them will come to fruition. To God be the glory because the river of the course of history, both in its personal sense and in the cosmic sense, the deeps, the shallows, the falls and the rapids, the course that runs through the deep and dark canyons that will also take me to the quiet streams flowing through the verdant plains all the way to its certain and glorious destiny. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, and it can be a little bit scary, and a few years ago I said no more youth trips to the Okoe and all this. It just, you know, it's too dangerous. That's, that's enough. But there's some scary moments, and I will not suggest to you at times that the course of the river of life seems pretty scary, and that we're going to get swamped in the midst of it. Even be like Keith Mullins and get trapped under the raft and think, I'm going to die. I'm not going to survive this. But let me assure you of this, God will not be frustrated in his purpose 
to bring glory to himself through the good he brings to you, whether in life or in death. And so God has manifested his glory, uh, the glory of creation. I'll say more about that in just a moment, but just to say it simply, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, And we have the privilege as we read our Bible on occasions to see the verbal testimony to the visual reality of the glory of God. In the burning bush, we see the glorious revelation of the God who is the great I am. In in the cloud and pillar of fire described in Exodus, we see it once again, the visible manifestation of the glory of God. As Isaiah uh, uh, encountered the one who is high and lifted up, and uh, as the cherubim and the seraphim shouted, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory, his weightiness, his value. It is supreme above all else. We see and hear the description of Jesus and the veil of his humanity being pulled back to see something of his glory at the transfiguration or of John's description of that glorious Son of Man there on the Isle of Patmos as described in the book of Revelation. Or even God in the eternal state where John says this interesting thing. You know, sometimes you get asked the question, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God said, let there be light. And he doesn't create the sun for, 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 until a later day. How, how is it? Well, guess what? In eternity, future, there will not need to be a sun or the moon because all of existence will be illuminated by the glory of God. God doesn't need sun nor the moon to illuminate all of his creation. Second thing, God is glorious in his attributes, and for that we give thanks. God is glorious in his holiness, in his distinctiveness, in his other than. He is distinctive and separate and other than every other thing. He is the uncreated, eternal, glorious one. His holiness is manifested in his wrath. God's wrath. You know, we, we, we tend to take a negative view toward wrath, and rightly so. Somebody, <laughs> I said something the other day, and, and, and one of my preacher buddies said, you're righteously indignant. And I said, well, I'm indignant, but I doubt it's very righteous. I, I seem to be too sinful to have much righteousness when I'm irritated, okay? And again, I was making a good point, an important point. But again, uh, because I'm a sinner, Uh, usually uh, my anger chases away any righteousness that might be uh, seeping through uh, uh, the cracks. But God's wrath is a holy wrath. It is a right wrath against all that is evil. And that will be expressed in his just judgment as those that rebel against him will receive exactly what they deserve for their rebellion against God. We see the glory of his attribute of, in his sovereignty. He, now, by sovereignty, I mean he has the, the authority and the right and the power to do whatever pleases him. And whatever pleases him is right. Whatever pleases God is right. And he has the authority and he has the ability 
to carry that out. And so this sovereignty appears in all of creation as we think about uh, the providence of, of our lives, the events of our lives, and certainly as we think about the operation of God's salvation. More about that in just a moment. But many of us, we daydream of life in another place or another time. Maybe we look back because of current difficulties and say, those were the days. Obviously, that reminded me of a song from the 60s. Those were the days, my friend. I thought they'd never end. I thought they'd last forever and a day. Indeed, we, we can get caught up. Now, much of what I've said this morning is about the challenges of adversity. But let me tell you something. Your, your pleasant circumstances may be a greater adversity to your spiritual growth than the, the adversity that those who know they're in adversity would understand. That, that, that is, you can be, become drunk. You can become presumptuous on the goodness of God, thinking that you deserve them, and those days will never, ever end. And I don't want you to live in fretting fear that something terrible is going to happen tomorrow. But here is the reality. You live in a fallen world, and it is difficult. And you may skate and scoot through this life with very little resistance, and I hope you do in some sense, if that suits God's purpose. But if nothing else, loved ones get sick and they die. And you will too. You will too. And so, God is sovereign over the here and the now. You're not where you are by accident. God has given to you life at this very juncture of history. He has designed and shaped you by his wise providence. I've told you before, I would have loved to have been a great athlete. Auburn University would have loved for me to be a great athlete. They would love for me to be a great athlete and played for them last night, okay, or yesterday afternoon. But unfortunately, my eligibility ran out a few years back. God made me short and slow and a lot of other things that are not particularly good if you want to be an athlete. But in his providence, he has made me just as I am, and he has placed me at this particular juncture of history. And you can say that, and you need to believe that of yourself as well. He has saved you to recognize and to rest and to speak of his glory. One of the pivotal moments in the Old Testament book of Esther if you don't know that story, it comes kind of at the end of the Babylonian captivity. The Jews are being restored to their homeland, and kind of the featured character is this uh, woman whose name is Esther, who is sent in to find the favor of the king. And so the king does find favor, and yet uh, she doesn't really live with him full time, 24-7. And she has an uncle, Mordecai, that comes to her, and he has discovered a plot by which the Jews are going to be exterminated. The king has signed off on an edict that all Jews in the territory, and there are 127 territories under his providence, they're going to be exterminated. And Mordecai comes to Esther and says, you must go 
to the king. And you must tell him about this. Now, you need to understand that even, if she, even though she was a wife, okay, that you didn't go to the king unless he requested you to come. That if you just showed up unannounced, he might just say off with her head. That was a very real, pro, very, very real possibility. And so he would, if, if somebody came in his presence and they weren't scheduled and weren't planned, he would give a sign as to whether or not they could approach. And even if they could approach, if they said something he didn't like, their lives would have been in peril. And Mordecai said this to Esther, and I think it applies to every Christian. Okay? He says to Esther, and who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And folks, I want you to know, every single one of us lives right here and right now. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And God has designed you and God has shaped you and God has equipped you to live right here and right now for the sake of his glory. And so, who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And to this, seems like Esther got it. She would do what she was asked and she would go to the king and she resolved, if I perish, I perish. She didn't say this, but maybe she should have, to God be the glory alone. I would say that all of creation, from the unseen molecules to the distant stars, every event of history significant and known by all or insignificant and unknown to everyone but God, that in each and every circumstance of your life, God has ordained all things to bring you to this present moment, whether through the salt of your tears or the pleasure of your laughter, you as a believer may rest in the certainty that you will one day rejoice in His glory. So the challenge now is to determine to live for the glory of God as your ultimate purpose. Some glimmer of that glorious joy will break into your life and that glimmer will sustain you until the day in which you see him. And for that, we give thanks. We are thankful because of his grace that he has loved the unlovely. We are thankful for his mercy and he has given aid to those who are unable. The third thing, God is glorious in all of his activities, he does all things well. And for that, we give thanks. I love to poke a little fun occasionally. Sometimes I target our engineer brethren here at the church. Engineering works because of the excellence of the Creator. You, you can't design something and it work if things don't work according to its properties that have been given by the designer and the creator himself. If, if, if you know, it, an electrical system doesn't work without the order of the universe, the order given to it by its creator. If you went to plug your lamp into a receptacle and it wasn't predictable, guess what? That receptacle and the energy in it might blow your arm off. And if I designed the system, it probably would. But... Thankfully, there are smarter people than me that are designing the system. But again, he is glorified in Christian. I've never known a person who is not awed by God's creation, by the majesty of nature, 
The sunsets, the mountains, the valleys, the rapids, and the waterfalls of majestic rivers, the tranquility of the sea, or the terrible power of a storm, we are all rightly impressed. And it is only a faint reflection of the glory of its creator. Creation is glorious, and it's beautiful. And I, you know, I see the pictures you send, and I try to take pictures. But, I, but the designer and the creator and the sustainer is far more glorious than every sunset and every mountain and every waterfall and every rainbow. I pray that you do see God's handiwork, as glorious as it is, but God's glory is greater. It is a glory that brings to us the hope of a, purpose, a permanent, all-encompassing pleasure in Him and through Him. As these heavens declare the glory of God, Paul told us in the book of Colossians, all things were created by Him and for Him. All things. Do y'all know how big creation is? I don't. That was just a question, okay? Because I don't. I forget. It's big. It's really big. And it's God's footstool. You know, my dad wasn't one to waste anything. And so when he built his last house, he built it much smaller than he could afford because to him, it was wasted space. He didn't want to heat it and cool it. He didn't want to spend the money on the two-by-fours and the sheetrock and blah, 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 okay? He just decided to live a little more cheaply in his last years. But God has taken all of these materials and all of these, this energy to create a universe that's so big that we'll never know anything about most of it. There's more we don't know than we do know. Just its sheer size says something to us about the glory of the Creator. I, I couldn't help but remember, and I remember when this happened, Christmas Eve, 1968. I've, I've mentioned it several times, used the recording. We were told this past week that Frank Borman, pilot of Apollo 8, passed away at 95 years old. I'm amazed at the courage of these men. I stand in awe of their accomplishments. But I will never forget, as those men circled the moon, the first men to ever go to the dark side of the moon, as they came around and saw that good earth, what did they do? Well, ain't that great? Yeah, we done done big. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are we, 55 years later? And a bunch of these wild-eyed, crazy people would be offended by that, wouldn't they? Wow. But yes, all of that technology and all of that manpower and all of that money and all of it went into sending those men there, they were impressed. That in the beginning, God created all of these things for his glory. God is glorified in his creation. He's glorified in redemption. He will be glorified in condemnation. God has saved us for his own glory. And he's determined that we would rejoice in that glory 
and for that we give thanks. You've heard me say it. It's not original to me. We are saved by God, from God, for God. By God, from God, for God. Every aspect of our redemption, from election, eternity past, to consummation and eternity future. Think about this business of election for just a minute. Now, y'all know I have some silly illustrations sometimes. This is one of them. But every once in a while, they'll pop up on social media. These clips of the retired basketball player, Larry Bird. He just cracks me up. Start of the game, he'll look over to coach and go, (laughs) you going to put that dude on me? I'm going to drop 50 on him tonight. During the game, he'll say, hey, hey, you guarding me? I'm going to go right there. And I'm going to come down the floor three times in a row, and I'm going to hit a fadeaway, and I'm going to hit all three of them, and you can't stop me. He tells them what he's going to do, and then he goes and does it. What did God do in choosing us for salvation? To all the assembled hosts of heaven, this is a depraved and debauched world. They are sinners by nature. They are sinners by their own choices. They, they are enslaved to sin. But I'm going to save this one, this one, this one, and that one. I'm telling you, I'm going to do it. Just watch me do it. And when Jesus died, the demons celebrated. And when he was raised from the dead, they lamented. And when the application of that work of redemption is applied to a believer's heart and mind, and they're saved, all of hell, all of hell shudders at the power and the glory of our Savior because he does what he said he was going to do. Our greatest joy will be in the satisfaction found in the glory of God. I want to show you this by way of contrast. You'll hear me say, in Christ, the vanities are removed. We can't sing with Kansas dust in the wind because it's not true. We can't sing with Jackson Brown. We're just happy idiots struggling for the legal tender. We can't sing with Simon and Garfunkel that our words like silent raindrops fell in the well of silence. We can't sing those things because they're not true of us. I borrow this from Alistair Begg. He pointed it out in a recent sermon. This is from the prologue or preface to the autobiography of a man named Matthew Perry. He starred in a television show called Friends. Thankfully, I've never seen an episode of that television show. Got no clue. Praise Jesus. But he was a big star and had it all. He wrote this. Hi. Hi. My name is Matthew. Although you may know me by another name, my friends call me Maddie, and I should be dead. If you, if, if you like, you can consider what you're about to read to be a message from, beyond, from, from the beyond, my beyond. He goes on to describe in some detail some of the misery he was experiencing, one of those miseries being he had not had a bowel movement in 10 days. He goes on, and yes, there is a hell. Don't let anyone tell you different. I've been there. It exists. End of discussion. He goes on to describe the terrors of living with his addiction. He tells us 
of all of his struggles, he said, by this point in my life, I knew more about drug addiction and alcoholism than any of the coaches and most of the doctors I encountered at these facilities, the rehab facilities. Unfortunately, such self-knowledge avails you nothing. I have turned myself into a professional patient. Let's not sugarcoat it. At 49, I was still afraid to be alone. Left alone, my crazy brain would find some excuse to do the unthinkable, drink and drugs. In the face of decades of life, I do these self-destructive things. My mind is out to kill me. I know it. I'm constantly filled with lurking, loneliness, yearning, clinging to the notion that something outside of me will fix me. But I've had all the outside had to offer. No, he hadn't. Jesus was outside of him, and he never had Jesus. But he had everything the world has to offer. He says, Julia Roberts is my girlfriend. It doesn't matter. You have to drink. I just bought my dream house. It looks out across the whole city. Can't enjoy that without a drug dealer. I'm making a million dollars a week. That used to be a lot of money. I'm making a million dollars a week. I win, right? Would you like a drink? Why, yes, I would. Thank you very much. I had it all, but it was all a trick. Nothing was going to fix this. It would be years before I even grasped the notion of a solution. Please don't misunderstand me. Some of those things were great. I didn't, I did have fun. But none of them were the answer. See, Augustine had it right when he wrote many centuries before this. We were created for thee, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. In the glory of God, in being consumed in the glory of God, whatever his will is for our life, we submit to his sovereign authority, and we can say, praise God from whom all these blessings flow. Blessings, whether they come in the difficult circumstances and seasons or the pleasant circumstances and seasons. See, life is ultimately glorious, purposeful for those who know Christ. As Paul wrote, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The vanity is taken away because whatever you do, you can do to the glory of God. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him, according to John Piper. He is sufficient when we're satisfied in Him and we learn contentment in adversity. He is sufficient when we're satisfied in Him when we learn to give cheerfully and sacrificially in wealth and in poverty. He is sufficient when we're satisfied in Him that He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. He is sufficient when we're satisfied in Him in life and death. He is sufficient when we're satisfied in Him in the sufficiency of his word. He is sufficient and we're satisfied in him as we wait patiently for the day of his appearing. We rejoice as we confess the glory of God in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory alone. Let me simplify your life. Seems to be a big thing these days. Declutter, downsize, streamline, organize, I thought about, when I thought about this and I wrote this, I thought about my grandmother decluttering her life. 
it would have taken a lot of time to get organized and simplify probably the four items of outerwear that she owned. Maybe a couple of everyday dresses and maybe a couple of Sunday go-to-meeting dresses. But we got to organize. We got to simplify. We got to declutter. Well, let me see if I can declutter and simplify your life. This application comes out of some words, very wise words, expressed to me by one of our young men after a sermon in which I spoke of the reality that the believer is a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, being a slave sure does simplify life. My singular concern as a slave is to please my master. Huh. Think about that for just a minute. The only thing that I have to be concerned about is that my master, my savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in my life. That declutters, that simplifies, that organizes everything I think, say, and do. That was good, folks. Don't make me tell you again. Yeah. So we give thanks. We say soli Deo Gloria, that life really is simple and clear. That in my life and in all things, God is glorified. As we make it our goal as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, we desire to make our master look glorious. We thankfully seek and savor the glory of God in all things. I give thanks, and every believer may give thanks, that our life is quite simple. We live and speak solely Deo Gloria. To God be the glory alone. In life or death, in health or sickness, in flourishing or floundering, in pleasant or sour circumstances, we pray. God, may the world see and may I experience your glory. May you be glorified in my life. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And in that, I will give thanks. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this great truth, a powerful truth. If we could just take these things to heart, if we could just recognize the freedom that whatever you've gifted and called us to do, we can do it to the glory of God. Even the difficult circumstances, we persevere in them to the glory of God, that you would be pleased with us and be glorified in and through us. May we grasp that through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the sake of the glory of God, our sins have been forgiven. And they have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And indeed for that, we say, to God be the glory alone. Amen.